We have two short Dharma talks to offer now. Um, and I'll begin first, and Michael will pick up where I leave off and expand on it. Now let's begin by enjoying three sounds of the bell. We have arrived. Every teacher has a core teaching. And a good teacher has a core teaching that is a universal insight that's expressed in a personal way. A universal insight that's expressed in a personal way. So I want to just name a couple of these, or specifically three of these. The first two from our ancient Chinese ancestors. Joshu is the first. Joshu said, no matter who came to visit the monastery, wash your bowl. Wash your bowl. So the universal teaching there is every action is awakening. And the way that I can take that personally is I say, oh, I can awaken by doing this. So universal and personal. Lin Chi, another one. He's uh, the first ancestor of our lineage 44 generations ago. And his universal teaching was a slap in the face. Mm. So what was the teaching? The universal teaching was that even this sensation is awakening. And I can use that personally. I can say, my stinging cheek can wake me up. So our teacher, Thich Nhat Hanh, is, is equal to these masters. And he has a core teaching too, a universal core teaching. I have arrived, I am home. So universally, he's saying home is here and now. And personally, I can say no matter where I am, I can be home too. I have arrived, I am home. It's quite easy for us to dismiss Tai's teachings and dismiss them because he wrote these very simple poems 
that we then sing in very simple songs, but we live in a cynical era where we often confuse simple with shallow. But Thai's simplicity is the opposite of shallow. So like the other great Zen masters before him, Thai refined generations, millennia of teachings into a few memorable words. And those memorable words are so simple that they're available for us to transform. He made poems out of what is unspeakable. Amazing. But if we see Thai's simplicity as somehow less than the real teaching, um, that his teachings are for the simple-minded or for the beginner, then we miss the fact that Thai's simplicity is a simplicity of refinement, not the simplicity of the simple-minded. It's the simplicity of refinement. Like, Muddy ore is turned into pure gold by refinement. Or dusty black coal is compressed into pure diamonds by refinement. That's the simplicity of Thai's teaching. I have arrived. I am home. That expresses the core of the matter just as clearly as Joshu or Linchi. So what's the background of this core teaching? Thai lost his home. He left Vietnam to participate in, in the Paris peace talks and wasn't able to return home for more than 40 years. Well, imagine this for a minute. The people that he wanted to help that were suffering in Vietnam from the American War, the land and the customs and the language that he loved, his friends and his family, his monastery, his order, all of it swept away in an instant. And he suffered. He suffered deeply. And at this point, he'd already been a monk for 25 years so he knew how to practice, but exile asked him to practice even more deeply than before. And he lived the truth of the five remembrances. That sutra we have that reminds us of these uncomfortable truths, and specifically the fifth remembrance. All that is dear to me and everyone I love are of the nature to change. I cannot escape being separated from them. So on a surface level, he was separated from all that was dear to him. But he knew there was something deeper, something deeper than just the surface. And he set out to find the liberation even in the face of this loss. And to do that, he made a vow. He made a vow not to take another step in a foreign land. He vowed to arrive home 
with every step, no matter where he was. And in doing that, in practicing that vow, he found that liberation was available to him in every step, so long as every step brought him back to the here and now. Otherwise, he would remain in a foreign land of the past or the future or of his preferences or of his suffering. But no, he took this vow to not take another step in a foreign land and he came home. So this liberation that he experienced was universal. It pointed to the deepest truth. Yet, he had to experience it as an individual, as a separate self. So he put it into these simple words. I have arrived. I am home in the here and the now. I'm solid. I am free in the ultimate I dwell. These are not simple words expressing a simple understanding. They express a deep and refined understanding. I'm so grateful that we have received these words from him. So all of us can practice arriving home too, just like he did. We don't have the extremes of his circumstance, but we know in some sense what exile is, each of us. And we know that because the illusion of being a separate self is universal. We haven't been separated to another land. We've been separated from ourselves. We've been exiled from our own lives. You know, each one of us drifts through life slightly outside of ourself. Rather than feeling this new spring sunlight on our cheek, instead we choose to scroll through Facebook, exiled from our life. Rather than tasting this lasagna prepared for us by one we love, we eat the New York Times, exiled from our life. Rather than enjoying this, this one precious breath, this gift of everything that is green, instead we choose to ruminate over something somebody said 30 years ago, and we miss our life. We can relate to what Ty was practicing with. We're exiled. To wake up, it means to return home. That's the core that he's telling us. To wake up means to return home. To return home to our life as it is in the here and now, in these circumstances, just like it is. Return home. He showed us that awakening is possible arriving home is possible, no matter what our circumstances. 
even if our suffering is great. He took this universal insight and expressed it personally. And I want to invite us also to express it personally. And we, we might think that, that um, this kind of insight or this kind of awakening is just reserved for, for Zen masters or for hermits, but it's not. It's for all of us. And I think we all know what moments of awakening feel like in our lives. You know, those moments when you're in complete unity with this moment, complete unity with your life as it is. But we miss those moments because we think they're for somebody else, somebody more worthy than us. But they're not, they're for us. So just as Ty was awake with every mindful step in his life, we can be awake with every mindful step in our life. It's our birthright. Ty's a human being, we're human beings. Nothing special. Should we try it for a moment right now? Right now? So I, I invite us all to come back to our breath. Take that breath that you missed earlier. Vow not to miss it now. Unite fully with that air moving in and out of this body. Not in an abstract way, but this breath now in this body. And when a thought or a sensation arises that pulls you away from that awareness, turn back, come home, arrive into your breath. Let go of everything else, arrive home. This is the experience of arriving home in the here and now. Uniting fully with our life as it is. It's available to us all the time. We simply have to take the vow like Ty took the vow. To not take another breath in a foreign land. But take your breath here, now, in your life, as it is. I have arrived. I am home. And again, I have arrived. I am home. Let's make Ty's universal teaching personal to us. Make it personal to us with every breath we take, with every step we take. 
with every moment of your particular life. I have arrived. I am home. In the here and in the now. I am solid. I am free. In the ultimate I dwell. Thank you all so much for being here and taking these breaths together. I'd like to invite Mike to carry on from here. Let's right where we are, take a little stretch. Uh, <laughs> so during the break, um, I went outside and walked on the warm pavement walked into the grass, the cold, wet grass in the shadows, but the warm, steamy grass in the sunshine. And with each step, I was home. And in each step, I totally understood why the dogs go lie out in the wet grass. to talk about our first loves in practice. You don't know, John mentioned that, that Ty was exiled for 40 years. And when he uh, was finally allowed to return to Vietnam back in 2005, the communists were very, very frightened about him. And they followed him. They, they, he was drawing crowds of like 10,000 people. And that gets a little scary for <laughs> certain governments. And people, it's like, well, you know, they're watching us. They're watching everything we do. They're watching you, Ty. And Ty just said, I don't know what they're so concerned about. I just teach one thing, breathing in and out. So let's explore our first loves in practice. You know, I posit that we all have a, a love affair with breathing. And it starts the moment we're born and whether they're, we're, however we're delivered. And I don't know if they do it anymore, but probably most of us lived at a time where they whacked you on the bottom to get you to take that first breath. And we've been going for those breaths ever since. 
recently at Morning Light Sangha, um, I invited people to practice with the breath as an anchor, as our anchor. Not in a, and when we think of an anchor, we think of it, it weighs us down. But the breath anchors us to awareness. It anchors us in awareness, in, in the present moment. Breathing anchors us in awakening itself. And far from feeling weighed down, breathing anchors us in waking up. And that sometimes feels very spacious and often even timeless. So rather than feeling anchored, in meditation we sense that we are untethered, open, liberated, set free. That's an interesting paradox to hold, that in the same breath we are simultaneously anchored and untethered. You know, we experience both the moment-to-moment -moment and the timeless simultaneously. Moment-to-moment, moment-to-moment, and timelessness. In that sensation of being untethered in time and place, time and space, we open to and touch the other shore that we read about in the sutras or sing about in a song that says, in the ultimate I dwell. As long as we're bringing to mind Zen masters, Zen master Dogen, 13th century Zen Master Dogen, who was kind of a Vietnam, the, the Thich Nhat Hanh of his time, said that when we practice Zazen, Zazen, when we practice meditation, breathing in presence, we are not separate from awakening. And we forget this. Now, awakening is not a goal that we attain in the sweet by and by from doing enough practice or doing enough this or that. Awakening is available in the present moment, as John was saying, right here, right now. It's as close as this next breath. That's awakening. The first time I heard Thai's voice was back in 1995. I had been in a retreat with another Dharma teacher and taken the five mindfulness trainings. There were the five precepts back then. And when I returned home, I went straight to our library and I, uh, I checked out this six, I think there were 16 tapes in this book uh, called Present Moment, Wonderful Moment. And Ty led this beautiful retreat. The, the tapes were the whole retreat. So I got to go on retreat with Ty in my bedroom. 
And for years, when I practiced meditation, I heard Ty's voice in my head narrating, breathing in, I know that I'm breathing in, breathing out, I know that I'm breathing out. So where did Ty get that teaching on breathing? In our mindfulness tradition, we, our practices are based on three primary sutras. And one of them is the Anapanasati Sutra, the sutra on the full awareness of breathing. So what did the Buddha teach about the breath? I quote from the Anapanasati Sutra. It's like this, bhikkhus. The practitioner goes into the forest or to the foot of a tree or to any deserted place, sits stably, holding his or her body quite straight and practices like this, breathing in, I know I'm breathing in. Breathing out, I know I'm breathing out. And then a Buddha goes on to list 16 different practices, breathing exercises. How many, how many of you, when you started practice in this tradition, used those words, breathing in, I know I'm breathing in, breathing out, I know I'm breathing out. many of us and those words are like training wheels they're really important as we begin practice and and it's important as we as we continue to practice to notice that the the buddha didn't say go into the forest or the foot of a tree and say to yourself I know I'm breathing in, I know I'm breathing out. He just said to know it, to know that breathing is happening and to know the quality of the breath. So just close your eyes for a moment and breathe. Breathe with awareness of breathing in and out, no words. You don't need to describe it. We have a number of practices in our tradition and in Zen. One is to anchor or focus ourselves with something such as breathing or sound or a flickering flame or counting our breaths. Another practice is choiceless awareness, just awareness of awareness itself. It's non-specific awareness. It's just the flow of thoughts and sensations as they arise. Arising 
and falling away like the breath. We also do meta meditation and some do koans. Meta meditation is loving kindness meditation. And I'd just like to offer a practice tip. In talking to some people, I, I learned that a lot of us, when we do our 20, 25 minutes of sitting, well, so, so I'll do this kind of, I'll, I'll count my breaths first, and then I'm going to do some loving kindness meditation focused on other folks, and then I'm going to do this kind of practice, awareness of breathing. But I just really encourage you, when you sit down to do period of meditation, choose one practice. Just choose one practice and stay with that. Come home to that practice again and again. You know, at the beginning of, of many group meditations in our tradition, you hear people say, and I said it today, please enjoy your breathing. What does that mean? For some of us, breathing is difficult, painful, if not unpleasant. Some of us have health conditions like asthma or emphysema or allergies. If you are on morning light this morning, you know that George is suffering right now with, that, with his allergies. And we send you loving kindness right now, George. May you be well. But for others, easy, breathing is easy. And therefore, we take it for granted. It becomes like, um, like not being grateful for the non-toothache. Most of us have heard Thai's teaching on the, that you know, when we're not mindful of what it is to have a non-toothache until we have a toothache. We don't realize how wonderful, how amazing, how delicious our breathing is until we're deprived of it. Hold your breath. <laughs> Watch what happens. Watch the craving. Watch that urgency. Watch the God. Gotta have a breath. We don't realize how wonderful, amazing, delicious our breathing is until we're deprived of it. So when we're invited to enjoy our breathing, we're invited to joy, enjoy the miracle. Breathing is a miracle that we all do it. The whole planet breathes in and out with us. In fact, in every breath, we're breathing the breaths of, of everyone who's ever lived. It's a miracle. When we're invited to enjoy our breathing, it's an, an invitation to not miss this moment. not miss it. Breathing's always there. It's happening automatically, involuntarily, autonomically, <laughs> independent of whether we're aware or not. And our practice invites us into awareness of the breath. Awareness of breathing is always available to us just, just like the present moment. In fact, awareness of breathing is present moment awareness. 
doesn't matter where you are, as John said earlier, or who you're with. You can practice full awareness of breathing anywhere. And anywhere you practice awareness of breathing becomes a meditation hall. Two years into this, look how we have found a meditation hall in the ether together. Anywhere we practice becomes our meditation hall. We've learned that in a really earnest way. But why do so many of us, many people I talk to, have this question of me? So, you know, I just forget to come back to my awareness of my breathing throughout the day. I just forget. So why is that? I find it's because we haven't developed the habit of coming back. And this is where sitting meditation comes in. Why, why do we do sitting meditation? Why do we practice Sazen? I have this quote from this, this uh, teacher and author, Michael Carroll. And he says, we, we may come to meditation with the hope of reducing our stress or perfecting our technique or maybe, maybe even enlightenment. And very soon we discover that the practice requires that we drop such ambition and just sit still on the cushion, letting go our internal dialogue, opening to our world very simply and directly. When we practice daily sitting meditation on a cushion or in a chair, we're developing and reinforcing the habit of establishing present moment awareness again and again and again. We sit in meditation in order to develop and reinforce the habit of remembering to reestablish present moment awareness. That's a habit. It's why we sit together. It's why we sit individually. It's why we practice in community. You know, neuroscience teaches us that the neuroplasticity of the mind, that we can change our brain, that we can rewire the mind. For example, when we focus our attention and concentration during meditation, it rewires the brain. Neurons that fire together, wire together. Put simply, that just means that meditating helps us create new neural pathways and help us rewire old ones. One neural pathway that I've created and nurtured and developed over 31 years on the cushion is a habit of returning again and again to the present moment. And the longer and more regularly and consistently I practice on the cushion, the more frequently I find myself returning to present moment awareness throughout the day when I'm off my cushion. 
So as long as we're talking about cushions, how many of you love your meditation cushion or your chair? I mean, just love it. I do. <clears throat> My cushion is a sacred place. It's a holy place. Holy and sacred in that it is consecrated. Consecrated to Mike's waking up. It's not sacred or holy in and of itself. But it's where I sit to wake up. My cushion is my Buddha seat. My cushion is my seat of awakening. I can't wait to take my cushion every morning and be with you all. Those who know me well, I travel with an inflatable Zafu. And that Zafu has been around the world with me a lot of times. I couldn't imagine not having it available to sit every day. My love of my cushion is not cushion specific. <laughs> any cushion that I take, any seat that I take. So your cushion is your Buddha seat. Do you regard it as such? Do you, do you give it the respect it deserves and needs from you to do its priceless work in your life? I have a vow. I've made a vow that I bow to my cushion every time I sit down. Even if I get up a thousand times in a, in a day, every time I come back, I bring the universe, the whole universe in with me and bow to my cushion. As I said a few minutes ago, anywhere we practice mindful breathing and awareness becomes a meditation hall. Even so, there's an importance to having a sacred space where we practice in our home. I know many of you do. There's the importance of practicing in community, in your Sangha, at a practice center. The places we practice together become sacred places for us. I don't know uh, if any of you watched the scattering of Thai's ashes in Plum Village, but they were scattered on this hillside where some years ago, someone donated, I think about 30 Buddha statues and and Thich Nhat Hanh took two of the monks and very carefully told them exactly where to put those statues and they would put it here no 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 it needs to go over there and he set it up exactly so that when people go and sit on the hillside they have this view that our teacher has intended that they have and now you're sitting in Thai's ashes on the hillside. I say, I can't wait to go sit there. 
I can't wait to make that my meditation cushion. But I don't have a meditation cushion wherever I go in daily life. But I always have my breathing. Ah, here we are at breathing again. Coming back in this moment, arriving in each moment, coming home in each moment. Every opportunity, out driving, walking down the aisle in a grocery store, at the gym as I lift weights or between sets, or walking over to get a cool drink of water. Breathing in and out. On airplanes, in airports. In awareness of walking and sitting and breathing and hearing, I am home right here, right now, in this moment. Now, I want to speak for a moment about stillness on the cushion. You know, in our songs we sing about sitting solid as a mountain, firm as the earth. <clears throat> Both mountains and, and the earth breathe just at a rate that's generally imperceptible to us. And we all tend to sit like stones, solid, unmoving, held tightly. So I invite you to, to find spaciousness in your sitting and let your body move as you breathe in and out. It's like, like we hold ourselves so tightly. Let your body move with your breath. Mm, notice the abdomen filling, the lungs filling. It lifts the head, it lifts the neck. Our sitting becomes a dance. Dance of awakening. So, Today, I invited you to ponder your relationship with breathing. John and I both invited you to ponder your relationship with breathing and with your cushion, with your sitting and walking meditation. Can you taste the delicious miracle that breathing is? Taste it right now. Can you arrive home to your breathing? Can you be home in your breathing? And in arriving home, are you able to touch the ultimate? Touch the other shore, dwell in the ultimate, the other shore. Do you consider your meditation cushion or chair as your Buddha seat of awakening and treat it with the regard and respect it deserves. And do you regard your meditation space as sacred and consecrated to your awakening? As the Buddha said when he touched the earth, I and all beings Wake up together.
Thank you. our morning uh, fluid balancing break. <laughs> Take care. See you back in 15 minutes. Just as you did before, please be back in 14 minutes so we're settled and ready to begin practice again. Have a good break. <laughs>